Welcome to Today on Broadway for Tuesday, August 8th, 2017. I'm Broadway World's Matt Tamanini. And I am Broadway star's James Marino. James, before we get into the news official, let's give a big shout out to Claiborne Elder and his husband, Eric Rosen. Yesterday, Claiborne Philip Rosen Elder was born. He is the son, as I mentioned, of Claiborne Elder, one of everybody's favorite Broadway stars, and Eric Rosen, who is the Kansas City Repertory Theater Artistic Director, quite a theatrical family there. Elder was, of course, most recently seen on Broadway as the soldier slash Alex in Sunday in the Park with George, and just a little more than a week or so ago, was in the one night only Sondheim on Sondheim at the Hollywood Bowl. The new baby weighed in at seven pounds and is 20 and a half inches long. Congratulations to both dads on a healthy baby boy. James, I have no point of reference. Is that big, small, average for a baby yes <laughs> you don't know either do you and you have two no. kids you you hope for uh 10 fingers and 10 toes that's all you hope for you know Fair enough. everything else Fair is enough. awesome <laughs> sounds good to me everything is awesome sorry everything lego movie is good when you okay yeah all right anyway. uh first up all-star cast announced for steve martin's meteor shower on broadway yeah james yesterday we learned that what had long been rumored that Steve Martin's play Meteor Shower would come to Broadway this fall following out-of-town triads in California and Connecticut last year was officially true. The show will begin previews at the Booth Theater on Broadway on November 1st with an official opening on November 29th. The show is currently scheduled to run through January 21st of next year, but I'd imagine that an extension or two is definitely possible, James. Because this cast is bonkers exciting. Earlier this summer, Michael Riedel reported that Emmy and Peabody Award-winning comedian Amy Schumer and Tony winner Laura Benanti would be a part of the cast, and that was confirmed yesterday. But if that wasn't exciting enough, and I was already super excited about that, yesterday it was also announced that another Emmy and Peabody-winning comedian would be in the cast in the form of one Keegan-Michael Key, currently co-starring with Oscar Isaac in Hamlet at the Public Theater uh, right now. So apparently he's caught the uh, the theater bug. The final member of the of the ensemble is not to be overlooked either, James, because he is a god amongst geeks like me, and that is Alan Tudyk of Firefly, Dollhouse, Rogue One, and of course, if you have kids, you'll know his voice as the Duke of Wesselton in Frozen, Duke Weaselton in Zootopia, and the rooster Hey Hey in Moana, which was one of my favorite characters in the whole thing. Anyway, multiple Tony winners Jerry Zaks will direct the production. Online today, I've seen the show described as an absurdist version of God of Carnage, but the official description reads, quote, Corky and her husband Norm, Schumer and Tudyk, are having another couple over for dinner. Laura and Gerald, Benanti and Key, though, aren't looking for a casual evening of polite small talk with new friends. Eventually, the two couples find themselves in a marital freefall matched in velocity and peril only by the smoldering space rocks tearing through the sky. Sounds like fun. James, you know that I've been planning a trip to come up to New York in November, and this just skyrocketed to the top of the shows that I want to see as like every cast member in there is like, I'm a bigger and bigger fan of them. Uh, and I'm very, very excited to see this. Um, even it didn't get super great reviews out of town, but with a cast like this, I'm quite positive that they'll be able to uh, elevate whatever material they're given. This seems really uh, going to be a hot show. No, 
pun intended. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, especially in the booth, which is not one of the biggest theaters uh, on Broadway. So with a what's even less than a three month run in a small theater, I would imagine that people might want to start getting tickets now. Again, um, the booth could give them an extension because they could get a show coming in in March or something for the spring. It could still give them enough time to load out and load in a new show. So there might be extensions. But if you want to see this, I'd imagine tickets would go quickly because a lot of these people have very fervent fan bases. Can't a media be an ice meteor? I'm trying to think if I I, I, I was not a science person. <laughs> All right. Well, then we should move on. More stars to join Roundabout's time in the Conways. Yeah, James, we're releasing this episode at 8.30 uh, on Tuesday. That is because at that exact second, 8.30 a.m. Eastern time, the Roundabout Theater Company is announcing additional casting for the revival of J.B. Priestley's Time and the Conways. Joining the previously announced Oscar and Emmy nominee Elizabeth McGovern will be Tony nominee Stephen Boyer, stage and screen star Anna Camp, Tony winner Gabriel Ebert, Broadway's most recent Pippin, Matthew James Thomas, and more. We will have the complete casting announcement in the show notes at broadwayradio.com james the first broadway revival of this 1938 play will begin performances at the american airlines theater on september 14th and is scheduled to run through november 26th the play is set in 1919 britain and mrs conway mcgovern is full of optimism during her daughter's lavish 21st birthday celebration the great war is over wealth is in the air and the family's dreams bubble over like champagne Then the show jumps 19 years into the future and the Conway's lives have transformed unimaginably. The play is directed by Tony winner Rebecca Tashman and James. I'm going to leave a spot or two open in my schedule in November. Uh, And depending on reviews, this show very well might be one that I sneak in there, especially because I think tickets will be a little cheaper than trying to get in to see like Hello, Dolly or something, uh, because this cast is fantastic. Uh, I wasn't a Downton Abbey person, but I love Stephen Boyer. I love Anna Camp. I love Gabriel Ebert. I, I think this is one that, again, not not probably in the same realm as Meteor Shower in terms of star power, but I think in terms of really good actors with fairly decent names, this one could be a big one, too. All right. So last week's Broadway grosses. Yeah, James, last week, Broadway remained fairly level in terms of across the board, dropping just 1.5% or just over $480,000. Now, that's including the first three performances of an extra show from the week before. That's Prince of Broadway, but... Between you, me, and the fence post, James, that show didn't exactly rake in the cash during its first weekend, bringing in just 116k over three performances. That being said, the biggest grossest story of the week is that in its final week on Broadway, Indecent did a fantastic $739,171, by far its biggest week on Broadway. If you take out the week leading up to July 2nd, which was when it was supposed to close originally and everybody you know, got their refunds already and didn't have time to buy new tickets. If you take that week out, the show has increased its haul every week since the first week of June. And while I know the number doesn't mean a, a whole lot in terms of grosses. I, I'm sure it did to performers because the show played to 96.5% capacity all week. So that's really exciting. And, 
you know, sure, this probably didn't get the show all that close to recoupment or anything, but I'm very, very happy, James, that it ended its run on a really strong note, and I'm super excited to see this one on Broadway HD in January. Also strong last week was Kinky Boots, sending Brendan Yuri out with a $100,000 increase to the box office to come in at $1.68 million, good for sixth best on the week. It trailed only Hamilton at $3.05 million, The Lion King at $2.28, Hello Dolly at $2.18, Wicked at $1.95, and Dear Evan Hansen at $1.71. 1 million. The rest of the seven-figure club included Aladdin, Come From Away, The Book of Mormon, School of Rock, The Phantom of the Opera, Anastasia, and Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. Following all of the casting controversy, Great Comet dropped a modest uh, $29,900 to come in at $875,614, which, you know, James, is fairly respectable for most musicals, especially in this season when a lot of the musicals aren't doing so hot, which we'll talk about in a second. But with a large production and multiple previous incarnations, having that enhancement money folded in to the Broadway investment, you know, short of a miracle, this show is likely going to be announcing closing soon. It could even happen as soon as today. Um, But that's kind of frustrating, James, knowing everything that's happened with the show and knowing that it's still bringing in a decent amount of money but its life is probably uh, coming to a, a pretty quick end. Speaking of that, on Bubble Watch, James, Bandstand, Warpaint, Groundhog Day, and A Bronx Tale all saw week-to-week declines again and finished under $700,000. Bandstand came in at just $522,000, its lowest total since the first week of June. James, if any of these shows plan on closing at Labor Day, I would think they would want to start announcing that now to encourage folks, be it locals or tourists, to see the show in the final weeks, either for the first time before it's gone or to see it one more time before it closes. So, you know, I hope all of them stick around and and can see increases at the box office. But I would not be surprised if one, two or more of them post a closing notice today. So, um if one of them were to post a closing notice, where would be the best place for them to check that out? <laughs> that would, uh, I would say on Broadway world and our new industry section, which launched yesterday, which uh, I've been working on for the past month or two. Uh, uh, check that out. Broadwayworld.com slash industry. Got a lot of cool stuff over there. Yeah. Why don't you tell us uh, quickly about industry and, uh, and uh, yeah, tell us what, what can we find out over there? I think there's a podcast and there's some guest writers and some cool stuff. Yeah, there's a, there is a, a podcast, one that we've talked about uh, often before. It is the O. Henry Report. Um, our friend Oliver Henry Roth, who's a Broadway producer and investor, um, we've restarted his podcast talking about um, different theater business stuff. In his second episode, which came out today, he talked about – honestly, coincidentally, talked about the the process of recasting a star in a Broadway show. We decided on that topic um, about five days before the whole Oak and Mandy Patinkin uh, controversy happened. But because it did happen, we did talk to Sammy Canold, who's a friend of, uh, of the show, James, who was the associate director for Great Comet. We also talked to a company manager and lawyer who kind of explained how the ins and outs will work with that in terms of equity contracts. We also have uh, Kara Joy David, who is writing some industry insider stuff, um, doing a great job. I have an article over there about all of the uh, the theater stuff. As people who listen to this show know, I uh, – 
obsess over where shows are going and the theaters they're going to be in. So I've got an article on that. We also have a list of what shows are coming in at each theater. Our social media manager, Alan Henry, has a whole bunch of analytics. So you can actually watch different show, all of the shows, different social media feeds, how they've increased in terms of followers from week to week, kind of see that. There's a bunch of other stuff in terms of like looking at the traffic on our site for different shows, different performers and things like that. It's it's a really, really um, cool way for to have a bunch of useful tools for theater fans and theater insiders to see what's going on. So thanks for the plug. That wasn't in the script. So uh, I appreciate getting the chance to talk about that. I call the uh, Broadway World Industry site, it's the uh, general manager's dashboard to Broadway. That's what it I love be. it. I'm going to pitch I'm going to pitch that to uh, Rob Diamond and see if he wants to uh, brand that. Excellent. Uh, next up, additional casting news. Casting announced for Tracy Letts, the minutes in a pre-Broadway run. Yeah, later this season, Pulitzer Prize and Tony winner Tracy Letts' new play, The Minutes, will be coming to Broadway. We've talked about it before. But before it does, it will have its world premiere at Chicago's Steppenwolf Theater Company, where many of Letts' plays originate, as he is a company member there. While there is no mention of the show keeping its Chicago cast when it does eventually move east, James, if you look at, say, I don't know, August Osage County, 10 of the 13 Steppenwolf cast members did accompany to the show when it came to Broadway. So the minutes will be led in Chicago by longtime CSI star William Peterson, as well as his fellow company members uh, at Steppenwolf, Kevin Anderson, James Vincent, Sally Murphy, Francis Geenan, and Ian Barford, the final three of whom played Ivy, Charlie, and Little Charles in August Osage County in both Chicago and New York. So director Anna D. Shapiro, who is directing the minutes and won a Tony for directing August Osage County is apparently getting the band back together. And finally in this section, James yesterday, second stage announced the complete casting for Harvey fire scenes, torch song, not torch song trilogy. It's just torch song now, which will be directed by Moises Kaufman starting next month. Joining the previously announced Michael Yuri, Mercedes rule and Jack DeFalco will be Ward Horton, Roxana hope and Michael Rosen torch song will begin previews on September 26th at the Tony Kai theater and will officially open on october 19th so maybe you can teach me something or maybe our listeners can teach me something here it's something that i always forget to google and do my research on what in the world is a steppenwolf um i don't know it's something about a magic carpet ride right i have no idea well that's if you're the listening band, steppenwolf huh? the, the band steppenwolf sang the song magic yeah carpet yeah uh-huh oh yeah, I don't know what it is though. Is it like a phoenix, or is it some sort of mythological thing? I don't know. I keep, <laughs> I, I forget to Google. Someone's got to. Someone's got to know. If you're a listener and you know about what the what the origin, the genesis of Steppenwolf is, not the theater company, but the name itself, Steppenwolf. What what is that? Anyway, let us know. All right, and <laughs> next up. Maybe the smart people at Harvard could teach me this. Ugh, or not. Harvard, Harvard theater graduates blame Diane Paulus for crippling debt. Ooh, yeah, James. That's a harsh just, headline. Really? Do they? It, they do. A lot of people. In fact, they officially do. And we'll talk about that here in a second. James, earlier this summer, we talked about the fact that Harvard University's American Repertory Theater Graduate Institute had paused admissions for three years in order to get their financial house in order. Well, yesterday, the New York Times did a long article about some of the issues and how it's affecting alumni. One of the major concerns with ART's institute was that students end up leaving the program with an incredibly high level of debt. The median debt for the for the program's alums, James, get this, is 
$1,000. According to a financial aid officer that talked to the Times, someone who gets a Master of Fine Arts at, I don't know, some school that no one's ever heard of called the Yale School of Drama, tend to have a loan debt average around just 14000 And at Juilliard, the average student loan debt for the four-year undergraduate drama program is 27000 As mentioned, we originally discussed this story and one of the things that was a part of this decision to close for three years was that the Department of Education officially criticized the school back in January about the burdensome debt that it was leaving on its students. And here comes the Diana Paulus blame part. In a recent letter, the school's alumni association officially laid the blame at the feet of Paulus and other administrators. The The article gets into kind of the intricacies of, of why that is, including some of the things that the school doesn't have, like an official MFA program, which apparently Harvard has been resistant against for decades or up to 30 years. It also talks about some of the very successful alumni who still owe tens of thousands of dollars, including Katori Hall, who is a well-beloved playwright and is now a Tony nominator, but she still has tens of thousands of dollars in debt. They talk about um, John Barenthal and Steve Zahn, who are starring in movies that are currently making huge amounts of money on the big screen right now in Baby Driver and War of the Planet of the Apes, who also still owe tens of thousands of dollars. Um, James, these are super smart people, uh, as you said, at Harvard. But I would love for them to figure out a way to make this work for the students, for ART as a whole, because this has become a theater that is vital to new shows, especially those with female creative teams getting to Broadway. And I would hate for the reputation of ART to be diminished because they can't get the post-grad program that's housed there under control. All right. We're going to have to keep our eye on that one as well. And, uh, wow, it's just $78,000 for coming out of that. <laughs> that's shocking. All right. Why don't you get us out of here? All right. Thanks for listening to Today on Broadway. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter at Broadway Radio. And you can find me on Twitter at Matt, and subscribe to something like a pop on iTunes, Stitcher or Google Play. And my name is James Marino from BroadwayRadio.com and BroadwayStars.com. Thanks for spending some of your Tuesday with us, and we'll be back and talk with you tomorrow. Tomorrow.